0: This episode of U Talk in Prague is brought to you by Riverstar Professional Group, your strategic and financial analysis company. For more information, visit them at riverstarpro.com. From the control room of 148 South Street Studio, I have memories and awareness, but I have no shape or form. Welcome to U Talk in Prague. I am your host, Taylor Blackburn, joined as always by my co-host, sweet Evan Bonetti. How you doing, Evan? I'm doing great, Taylor. How about yourself? I am doing great. I hope you don't mind that little sweet compliment I gave you. Just sprinkled it in right there for you.
1: You always uh, sprinkle in the nice compliments, Taylor.
0: Oh, I got to for the listeners. Thank you guys for joining us for the first episode of You Talking Prague, the all-inclusive and encyclopedic compendium of all things progressive in rock and roll music, where we ask the most important and crucial question in this day and age. Hey, you talking Prague, bro? Always. Always. Now, we should explain a little bit for the listeners uh, our history with this music, because it's not just something that, you know, we fell into later. It's something that we have followed our whole lives, really.
1: Yeah, pretty much since the beginning, Prague has been a big part of both of our lives.
0: I think we have our fathers, really, to, to thank for that. Yes. They were the ones introducing us to Rush and Tull and King Crimson and The Who and Britney Spears. Maybe one of those in there or so. It's, one
1: of these things is not like the others.
0: One of those bands just doesn't belong, and it is clearly King Crimson. No, prog music has always been in our hearts, in our bloods, in our bones, in our femurs ever since we were young.
1: It's it's always stood out to me in a way that I I can't really explain. I like to be surprised in music. Predictable music can be really mundane.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I don't know. Something about just the four four-time signature, it just doesn't do it for me. Agreed. <laughs> Even though my other favorite music is punk music, which is so weird because you would think that they're so different.
1: That's the beautiful thing about Prague, though, is that you'll find that among the Prague...
0: I I, I guess we could call them elites.
1: Yeah, among the Prague elites, everybody has a different second favorite type of music.
0: Exactly. And it's always so different from Prague because really you can't get anything close to Prague. It's It's its own thing. Prague
1: is its own category to the point where anything else that is kind of Prague influenced just becomes... Prog that.
0: Yeah. You got your prog rock. Your prog alternative was a new term that I heard today from you. Yes. I had never never heard before, but I'm quite excited to kind of get in that genre. (laughs) Now, you and me, we met in kindergarten. We have been friends forever. So you're listening to a couple pretty close buddies talking over here. He was actually the first friend I made in kindergarten. You came up to me and introduced me to Uno, I think.
1: Yeah, I think I asked you to play Uno with yeah.
0: me. Yeah, and, and the rest is history, and now we're here. With a podcast
1: for all of you beautiful people out there.
0: So 2017 was a pretty crazy year for prog releases. I mean, we were trying to go through and find out what was our top prog album of the year, and it's, it's a pretty difficult choice as there were so many good ones this year. Uh, personally, I loved Enslave's new record. It was their 14th that they put out. Okay. And it is, it's so beautiful. It asks for your patience, but it pays off so well. I could not recommend that enough, Enslave's new record, especially the song Storm Sun.
1: Storm Sun. Okay.
0: Storm Sun. But that I don't think would be probably my favorite Prague album of the year. I'm going to have to go with, and this was a tough choice, but The Contortionist. Oh my goodness, Clairvoyant, that beautiful, beautiful, sweet album from one of my favorite bands that you got me into back in the day.
1: I forgot about that when they were not really a well-known band at all at that point.
0: No, um, you discovered them during their like first album and everything, because I remember going to see them in, I believe it was 2011, and they were the openers on, it was Hatebreed, Dying Fetus, ooh, what was the other, Shadows Fall. Okay. And then not the even cont- a
1: prog bill at that point. So no. they weren't even well known enough to get on a, a bill with similar artists.
0: Exactly, yeah. And they still had their original singer. I can't remember his name at the time. Neither can I. Well, we saw you. <laughs> <laughs> but their album that they put out, it's it's not necessarily metal. I know no. a lot of their metal fans were pretty disappointed.
1: It was a little bit of a groundbreaking album for them because I feel that they were really trying to mix things up. Exactly. I feel like they finally found a sound that they love, and it's not what they used to be, and they had to come right out to the surface and say, this is what we are now. Accept us or don't.
0: Exactly. Deal with it. We'll play Flourish for a little bit during our set. That was... We, yeah. we saw them on the uh, Between the Barry and Me Colors anniversary tour, and oh.
1: What a wonderful show.
0: I mean, it so beautiful, just from top to bottom, except for Tooth Grinder. I'm sorry, Tooth Grinder. I can't. We missed you. I missed so I can't
1: even comment on it.
0: Nothing against you guys. We just missed you, set Just play a little bit later, Tooth Grinder.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd say that that was in my top three concerts of all time.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember you and me looked at each other during the contortionist, set and were like just blown away by the musicianship and caliber that they were bringing to the stage. I will put these guys up there as the next tool. Hopefully not going to be tool in terms of never releasing another album for 14 <laughs> years, but in terms of being a great progressive metal band,
1: I could see where you're, where you're coming from with that. I don't know. I, I hope that they're able to climb to the level tool was able to get to, but I, I, I don't see it happening radio-wise.
0: Very true. I I don't think they'll be able to push to that mainstream radio appeal that that Tool had cuz really it was in the 90s. God, that yeah. was just like a perfect culmination for Tool to come out and break as a mainstream band. Because they
1: were grungy enough I guess per se that they could end up in the grunge stations, the other Exactly. the, the heavier alternative music of that time. They fit into that genre well enough despite being a prog band that they were able to get played on top 40 radio. Even
0: exactly right next to your corns and your, your limp biscuits. The it, actually the contortionists. if you want to catch them live and are in the Michigan area, they will be playing in Lansing at the loft. One of my favorite venues of all time, super small holds 500 people. Tickets are $18. They're playing with silent planet, which oh, so good sky Harbor and strawberry girls. And that's on April 5th. It's a Thursday, but you got to make it out to that show because it's going to be so
1: good. (laughs) And also, if you haven't caught the new Contortionist album yet, Clairvoyant, make sure you give it a listen. Um, And if you don't have time for the whole album, check out track three, Reimagined, and track six, Absolve.
0: Oh, Absolve, yes. Yes, that one. And it's weird because if you don't like the album at first, I understand that. When I first listened to it, I remember hearing "Reimagined" because I think that was the single they just
1: released, and that I, was the first song I heard as well.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't that I didn't like it; I was just
1: I was a little taken aback. Yes, and I was that's a perfect little way to say bit say it. disappointed at first, to yep. be honest. And oh yeah, it wasn't in the musicianship and it wasn't in the writing, but I it was so different and to be released as the single, it scared me.
0: Yep, and I think it scared a lot of contortionist fans. I know a lot of our friends were quite not happy with that.
1: Yeah, but when I re-listened and heard that song in the context of the album, 180-degree flip, it it went from being a song that scared me about their future and a song that scared me in the direction they were taking to me realizing that they're
0: doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Exactly. And, God, the melodies on that thing, I would just be laying in bed with, all these things re By the way, I am available for, uh, to sing in your band. I'm just, just <laughs> saying. I have the time. Evan, what was your favorite prog album of the year?
1: Well, I listed uh, Contortionist Clairvoyant up there, too, for a possible prog. It wins, baby! <laughs> But I also uh, I've also been listening to an a band that I actually found this year, um, because of this release, but Bent Knee's Land Animal.
0: Oh, Bent Knee, man. Oh. I'm just
1: obsessed. I I don't know if this is a band that would be technically considered Prague. Um <laughs> No,
0: you, you can consider the Prague.
1: Um, I think they like to be more under the art rock label. But seriously, Courtney Swain, their lead singer, is I would put her in, she might even be my favorite female singer of all time. Oh, shit. Her control and her pitch is perfect. but.
0: But Bent Knee, it was very weird because I, well, I didn't technically see them, but I was at one of their shows this year when they opened for the Dillinger Escape Plan on their last tour.
1: Which was really interesting to me. I didn't see the show, but it was really interesting to me because they are not, By any stretch of the word, a metal band. Oh, yeah. Far, far from it. They have parts that are vaguely heavy, but they are not a metal band.
0: Especially next to a band like the Dillinger Escape Plan, Rip. I know. Who, (laughs) Rip. Rip. Who is known for
1: having some of the craziest audience crowd interaction and, I mean, ever, ever, ever.
0: I'll never forget the little side story. I'll never forget the first time I saw him at the Metallica Orion Festival. And Ben Wyman, their guitarist, had just broken his arm. So it was kind of up in the air whether or not they were going to play. And they did end up playing. Ben sat side stage reading a Revolver magazine and commenting on each of the songs in between. And they still played with only their one guitarist. I can't remember his name right now. But it was so incredible to hear just one guitar. Would that have been Jeff Tuttle at the time? Uh, No. No, okay. Sadly. I did see Jeff Tuttle, though, play with them at the uh, show with Bent Knee. Okay. He came out and he played Milk Lizard and a couple other songs from that era. That's interesting. Did he leave the band and come back? No, he left the band and... Uh, never did come back, um, but he played that show. Yeah, he played that show because he's actually a Detroit native. Hi, Jeff. Okay, interesting. Hi,
1: Jeff. I hope you're listening because I saw him probably one of his last shows officially with the band. Oh yeah, the he- heavy <laughs> to baby he- heavy to in Canada. Which heavy two only lasted
0: two years and you- hey Canada, why yeah. don't you go ahead and bring back heavy two?
1: Yeah. So I- yeah, those uh, those are our favorite prog albums of the year.
0: And if you want to tell us your favorite Prague album of the year, don't forget to go visit us on Facebook. And there we'll have a whole discussion thread for you guys to just type, type, type away your comments. No, we'd love it. We'd love it when you guys interact with the show.
1: I wanted to give an honorable mention to a few albums that came out this year uh sixth the future in whose eyes
0: oh sick thank god and they that was with their new singer right
1: uh yes sixth is a two singer band um one of their singers the main singer is still the original member but the um the one that does mostly the clean highs is no longer in the group Um, so they've replaced him with with somebody new um i don't know his name but, but he's great yeah and he's awesome i saw them perform with their new singer live and I could tell that he was a good fit for the band.
0: When did you see them live?
1: It was at St. Andrews. I don't remember who... Was that
0: the Periphery yes. tour? Ooh, Periphery!
1: Yes, that was on the Periphery tour. And I don't think I even stayed for all of Periphery's set, which is hilarious. But a couple other honorable mention albums I wanted to list were David Maxim Mitzik's Who Bit the Moon, which is an instrumental album. Uh, if you guys like any instrumental music, you need to check out David Maxim Mitzik. Um... Caligula's Horse, In Contact, incredible album. Yeah, we
0: were just listening to that, and that was blowing
1: me away, dude. And Nova Collection, The Further Side, which is also an instrumental album. This is, um, for any of you Between the Buried and Me fans out there, this is Dan Briggs, the bassist from Between the Buried and Me's one of his side projects. Ooh. And the music's great. I wouldn't put it in a top uh, album of mine for the year, but there were a lot of points in there that really, like, you can tell how much of Between the Buried Music is written by Dan because it's just so, it sounds like him. Oh, I got to check
0: that out, definitely. Anything that Dan Briggs touches a, ooh, I love. (laughs) I'm going to give a quick shout out also to some non-prog albums that came out this year that I loved. One of them, not metal at all, not even really rock, but LCD Sound System American Dream. They are like a weird electronic band from New York. But this album just, it's such a mature step for them. It doesn't rely so heavily on electronics or on live bands. It's a beautiful blending of them both. Also, the new Body Count record, Ice-T. I love you, baby. You're doing them sweet old things with that Body Count. Oh, that album was just so good and so crushing. Also, I want to give one more shout-out to Godmother which is a band that I discovered who are signed to Dillinger's label. And it is a, a beautiful blend of what I would say black metal and hardcore in just these short punching songs that never let up. There
1: weren't a whole lot of non-prog albums this year that I was a huge fan of, at least none that I've heard. But I will say that I really did enjoy the new Greta Van Fleet. And I guess it's the only Greta Van Fleet because the guys are like 16 years old. And, they have gone from, like I said, high school band to I was watching uh, the week 16 football the other day, and one of their songs was played as they were going to commercial break. Wow. So. They, they've blown up massively fast and I know a lot of it's because they are doing the whole Led Zeppelin thing I, I, hey
0: it, it works and everything I've heard nothing I still have to check out the record but I've heard nothing but positive things about it from people yeah. fans old and young especially
1: and yeah they do sound a lot like Led Zeppelin and they're clearly trying to, to not I wouldn't say rip off that's not the right word but no. to, to use that vibe to to further themselves and find that fan group but you know what to anyone who can comment negatively on that Led Zeppelin stole pretty much every song <laughs> off of their first two albums.
0: They didn't write any of their music. They not write any of that. Led Zeppelin, we're taking you to task right here. on you talking, Prog.
1: Baby, 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 baby.
0: Robert Plant is here, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Izaki got the better Robert Plant. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. All right. And we will be right back after this commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by Spinal Recovery Center of Metro Detroit. In today's day and age, we're all working super hard. You're getting your hustle on. But what do you do when you just got a bum spine or a bad back? You can't let that get in the way of you making that money money. Or as Billy Idol would say, that money money. Well, at Spinal Recovery Center, they thoroughly evaluate each patient using their team of medical experts to customize the care that you need. Their goal is to reduce your pain level immediately while developing long-term programs to help alleviate your condition. When your body works the way nature intended, your spirit and you soar to victory. So check them out. They are a great sponsor and helping keep this show free. For more information, visit them online at SpinalRecoveryCenter.com. Hey, guys. Welcome back to You Talkin' Prague. Taylor here. And Evan. Oh, uh, uh, Evan's here. I think we also got Robert Plant in the building.
1: Oh, yeah! Oh, he's he's in stereo.
0: Today, we are going to start our first of many prog debates. This is when we take a uh, topic in prog music and debate it back and forth. We may have the same opinions. We may have different opinions. You may have the same opinions as us, or you might think we're horribly wrong. But that's the point of the show. Today... We are going to debate which Rush album is the greatest, Farewell to Kings or Hemispheres. Oh, this is such a tough one. Now, I, we're having Farewell to Kings versus Hemispheres because I think we could both agree that 2112 would be a numero uno. It's kind of hard to debate that. Yeah, because I, I feel like I'd have to give it all the way to 2112. I've said it before and I say it again. It's my favorite song of all time.
1: Yeah, so in this great debate between A Farewell to Kings and Hemispheres, this is a really tough choice because these albums not only are both from the prime time of Rush's career, in my opinion, the peak, but they're back-to-back. And, in fact, the last song on A Farewell to Kings is the prequel to the first song on Hemispheres.
0: Aha, Sing the Sex One, the book, baby. Book one and book two. Book one, baby.
1: Cygnus X One is actually the first Rush song I ever learned on bass.
0: I remember that actually. I remember there you put a video up on YouTube of you playing it, and I was blown away by this boy.
1: Yeah, when I was in middle school, shortly after my dad got me a bass guitar, he uh, he popped a to King's on my uh, on my record player, and that was the first time he ever showed me Rush. So I learned that song on bass, and. I think my dad gave me 2112 and maybe a couple other Rush albums at that point in time.
0: Ooh, roll the bones.
1: No. <laughs> no roll the bones. Hey, Jack, relax. And I became a huge Rush fan very quickly.
0: You were the the Rush boy at school. I don't know if boy's the right term. Rush man. I was Rush man. Rush man.
1: And I'm still a massive Rush fan, but I... I can never be as big of a Rush fan as I was when I first fell in love with Rush.
0: Well, I don't think anyone can be because just when you first discover Rush and you are just engulfed into it, nothing else matters. It is just so perfect, so flawless. You can get lost in the tracks.
1: And nothing
0: else matters. (laughs) Oh, James Hetfield to the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, hey, give me food, give me fire, give me some Ooh, yeah. All right, uh, James, I don't think we have any uh, fuel or fire, but you are welcome to hang out and uh, listen to the podcast. Oh, I see real. Oh, yeah. All right, all right James, thanks, thanks for stopping in. Bye, James. See you, James. Oh, look at him scurry off. Now, <laughs> I... Trying to decide which one of these records is my personal favorite is so hard because Farewell to Kings was the first Rush album that I discovered from you, my good boy. You gave me a copy of that album, and I was just so blown away by it. Xanadu especially. I mean, it's, oh, the honeydew, mm-hmm. the milk. It's all so flawless. Side A of that album is perfect. Oh, without question. Perfect. And that's where I think the debate can get a little strong for Hemispheres being the winner, because Hemispheres, there is not a single second on that that is lacking at all. No, and to be fair, it's a little bit shorter of an
1: album. It's only four songs.
0: Only only four?
1: And if you were to take off Cinderella, Man, and Madrigal, you'd have a four-song album for A Farewell to Kings as well.
0: And I think if you took off those two songs, it'd probably be... It'd be a tight well, debate. They, yeah,
1: it would be, a, and, it, and not to say that either of those are not good
0: songs. They are just not at the caliber of the rest of the album. Exactly. For when you're hearing "Farewell to Kings" and Xandu and "Close to the Heart," you're like, "Well, shoot me now. I'm just, I'm perfect. This is the best." That album is quite possibly the entire
1: reason I still listen to prog music today. I don't know without being given that album at that crucial point in my life if I would be into music as much as I am now.
0: Very true. It really did like cement us in our love for progressive and weird music at a young age and was very important to us. But it wasn't until
1: probably near the end of high school that I actually listened to Hemispheres for the first time.
0: Yeah, Hemispheres was one I got into a little bit later also, and it really dominated our freshman year of college. I remember driving around in your Ford Escort listening to Hemispheres constantly. constantly, Oh, so perfect, so good. And that album, too, I feel like is better than any other in terms of if you want to air drum.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, as long as you know the songs well enough to know where the fills are and, and what Neil Pert is doing.
0: Uh, it's actually Neil Pert. I thought it was Pert.
1: <laughs> you could just play along for hours, even though it's only a 40-minute album.
0: Now, when I air drum, I like to just go all over the place, not hold any type of structure to it. <laughs> now, uh, funny thing, we were talking about Cinderella, man. I didn't know this. The lyrics for that are based off the 1936 screwball comedy, Mr. Deeds Goes to Washington. No, Mr. Deed Goes to Town. What? Yes. I I've never seen that movie. I believe it's got uh, Jimmy Stewart in it. I honestly had no idea. I always assumed it was about the movie Cinderella Man. (laughs) (laughs) Starring Russell Crowe. And Xanadu was inspired by the poem Kubla Khan by Samuel, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Coldridge Taylor. Hey, cool name.
1: I actually think I knew that one.
0: And Next these year. these were both recorded in Rockfield Studio. Yes, in Wales. You know, the birds in Xanadu and Farewell to Kings, actually they were recorded right outside. Those were local Wales birds. Oh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, didn't get any royalties though on the record. <laughs> I don't know if this is
1: if they actually ended up finishing the album this way, but I do know that Rush was dead set on recording Hemispheres pretty much live front to back without yep. any overdubs.
0: And I don't know if they were successful in that.
1: I know they tried over and over again. I don't know if it ever happened, but either way, that's a lofty goal rush for such a difficult album.
0: You're, you're doing great things, Rush. Closer to the Heart, actually, was the first Rush song to credit an external writer, uh, a guy named really? Peter Talbot, who is a friend of Neil. I didn't know that. Yeah, actually, I... And, uh, and uh, Cygnus X1, book one, The Voyage, that's act- the person doing the spoken word. I always thought it was like Getty or Neil, but it's the producer, Terry Brown. Okay. Yeah. I assumed it was Neil. Yeah. I, I always assumed, too, it was Neil. It was uh, Rush's biggest selling record at the time. It really helped them become more popular in the UK when Closer to the Heart came out as a single. It was blowing up all over the radio there it actually peaked in the UK charts at number 22. And I don't know the stats here, but I'm
1: going to assume that Hemispheres didn't do anywhere near as well.
0: Ah, yes, exactly. I was uh, just going to say that uh, when Hemispheres first came out, people were really not that into it. I found a review from UK Sound Magazine when the album first came out, and the author is quoted as saying, now, Having forsaken basic beginnings, and he's talking about Rush being basically an early Led Zeppelin ripoff, but he said, Now having forsaken basic beginnings, Rush sounds ambitious beyond their musical means. They seem to have tried too hard to have stretched instrumental aspirations too far. Now, like an elastic band, they've snapped to hang flaccid and useless. Wow, that's actually pretty harsh. Yeah, it was really scathing. They just kept going on about how the record was just basically a sloppily put-together prog mess, which I couldn't disagree with more, I know. sir, I from d- Sound Magazine. You know, if you took those just two records, like you got an 18, no, is it 18? Yeah, it is 18-minute song, Hemispheres. Yes. As the opening track that has all these different, insane, complex parts to it, and then you end it on a nine-minute instrumental, which Alex Lifeson said came to him in a, like, a surreal dream. Love you, Yep. I could see that. I, I
1: know this is always a song that Alex has really, really loved. Um, if any of you have gotten the chance to see Rush in the more recent years before their current status of no longer touring.
0: Oh, don't say that, Evan.
1: <laughs> and you saw them perform La Estrangiato, There's a good chance you saw Alex doing some sort of vocal improv weirdness in the middle of it somewhere. <laughs> it was different at every show. <laughs> I forgot about that completely. Yeah. He did
0: do that.
1: Yes, and sometimes it was weird spoken word. Other times he'd just say the same word over and over again. What a What a strange dude, Alex.
0: Yeah. Alex, we'd love to get
1: you on the program. <laughs> and while we're at it, if you want to know how strange he is, go
0: listen to Victor' his solo album. Oh, Victor, dude, we could do a whole show just talking about <laughs> like the Rush side projects. Because I remember you giving me a copy of Victor and was just so confused as yeah. to what this was, but I loved it. Yeah, it's it's
1: it's really interesting, and I'll leave it at that. In the end, here, and I think this is gonna surprise you, Taylor. I'm going to give this to Hemispheres.
0: Hemispheres? Oh, my good! I thought for sure that you were going to go Farewell to King, and I may have just lost 50 bucks on that, but <laughs> I can't blame you, man, because you know what? I got to agree with you. Hemispheres is the winner. Ding, ding, ding. ding, 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 ding. If you had just a three-song album of Farewell to Kings, which was Farewell to Kings, Xanadu, and Closer to the Heart, I think it'd be pretty tough because I
1: think you got to throw Cygnus X One on the end of that. Maybe. Oh yeah, do
0: I? Right. Oh, it's it's so perfect. That's why I was like, I'm I feel like I'm forgetting a track. Yeah, if,
1: if if you had a four song version where you you ditched Cinderella Band and Madrigal, but you had still had Farewell to Kings, Xanadu, Close to the Heart, and Cygnus X One book two book one. The voyage. Me, I think it would be a
0: close call.
1: But I I think I'd still give it to Hemispheres.
0: Exactly. And you want to know why? Because you have the 18 minutes at the beginning of Hemispheres. You have the nine-minute instrumental at the end. But that isn't what sells me on the album. It's those two sweet little babies in the middle, the trees, and Circumstances.
1: Circumstances is an oddly placed track because, to me, it feels like a radio single. Yeah. And Nothing on the rest of those two albums feels like a radio single.
0: And those were the two singles from the album, actually, was yeah. Circumstances and The Trees. I believe it was Sebastian Bach who was quoted talking about how
1: it was crazy that a rock band was making him go out and learn French. And yes, read exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's so true, though. I mean, what rock band back in 78 was trying to throw along some French words in there having an album with two naked guys on a brain yeah i mean they are canadian so they are a little weird but there you have it we're giving giving this one to hemispheres hemispheres you are the winner now if you disagree with our picks or you felt like we left something out you can go over to the facebook at you talking prog on facebook and join in the comment section let us know how you feel so Evan, I gotta ask, what uh, have you been jamming to lately?
1: Well, the past few weeks, I I mentioned this band earlier, but I've really been digging Caligula's Horse's new album. They're uh, they're an Australian band formed in 2010, I believe. Um, but the new album is called In Contact. Um, they, the band calls themselves progressive alternative rock
0: progressive alternative I love that term I could hear it all day baby
1: I know it's it's kind of an interesting term because there's probably a few bands out there that I would classify as progressive alternative rock uh, maybe a lot of them being European um bands like Richlu and Hawken but I don't know if anyone's ever used that term before yeah so uh, it's at least that's the first time I've heard it but this new album in contact is, is it's just a great album. This band has aspects from all across the board. There are times that it gets very heavy and almost quote unquote, gente, but not Ooh. really, but there's other times that it you forget that you're listening to a modern album. You get lost in almost that seventies Prague vibe. So it's, it's really just a great album with so much variety and, I think you should listen to it.
0: Yeah, we were uh, listening to one of the tracks earlier, and it had some, uh, and I'm going to say he should not be named, Genty Genty Elements elements." to it. Ah! For myself, I have been listening to a lot of Jethro Tull again. That's no surprise. It's no surprise. Nothing new. But I went back and have been listening to an album that came out in 1973 by them, A Passion Play. It's a great album. It is so good, and I feel like so criminally underrated. It came right after Thick as a Brick. It debuted at number one in America and the UK. Riding on the goattails of Thick as a Brick, obviously. Exactly, but... Oh, the label was not happy. The fans were not happy. I know a lot of Toll fans who consider it to be their worst release, which I find insane considering you have an album like Under Wraps, which is all electronic produced drums. Ian, how could you? But A Passion Play is just such a great album. It has so many weird elements to it. It's all about the just like the lyrics follow along what happens after you die and what a young Ian Anderson thought at the time. He was pretty young when he released that album too. So, you know, he's got a lot of bravado in his head and everything. I mean, it's pretty ballsy to include a three minute track in the middle of your album, which is just one song, that is a almost like a Monty Python like children's book story. Of course, the uh, fans of Tull know that I'm talking about the hare who lost his spectacles. Now, was that album, uh, who, do you know who was playing bass on that album? Was that before John Glasscock? I believe that was right before John Glasscock joined the band, but I could be wrong. I, maybe it was Jeffrey Hammond. Uh, yes,
1: yes, it was Jeffrey Hammond.
0: And now we want to know also what you've been listening to. If you have any suggestions for bands or albums we should look up, please let us know on the Facebook. That's You Talking Prague. All right, so I think that's the end right there.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's going to wrap up our first episode
0: here. Evan, thank you, as always, for joining me on this. Of course, Taylor. And we're always going to be here to answer that question. Hey, You, you Talking talkin Prague, Prague bro? bro? This has been a 148 South Street Studio production. Executive produced by Nick Coco. Evan Benetti, and Taylor Blackburn. For more information and content, please visit us at 148southstreetstudio.com. And just a reminder, the views and opinions expressed on You in Prague do not reflect those of our sponsors.